0: Uh all right, so I got look at this bonus material with Joe Deaver uh so we're going we're just gonna spend a couple minutes talking about the mythology because this is what really brought me in this it's totally unique. I think that it really belongs up there with tolkien you know with with Harry Potter stuff with um with with all of the major fantasy storylines you you know even game of thrones this belongs there i think i mean i think it's unique i think it it's one of those things where it 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 fits the bill of you know medieval high fantasy but it doesn't Mm -hmm. regurgitate anything and it creates its own world um how how come this isn't a a movie or a tv show yet
1: oh that's that's always the question i get asked these days Uh, well it's almost been a movie four times let's put it that way okay um, but it's a bit of a circle that sort of I get drawn into usually every four years. I get a call from a production company in Los Angeles. It's always Los Angeles. Uh, very typically, they've grown up with a series and have you know, liked the idea of turning it into a film. Um, they option the rights, the film rights. Um, so we, they typically option the rights for 18 months. Uh, we agree a fee they pay the fee, and then they 've got eighteen months in order to get backing and other people interested to make it into a film that 's the basis of the deal um, but what happens is that they don 't you know they don 't fulfill their part of the bargain they they don 't get backing and it the option uh elapse mm. they elapse and two or three years pass, and then I go through this uh, procedure yet again um so it's, it's nice having the option money. It's quite, usually quite substantial, but it's getting a bit tiresome that it never comes to anything. So what, what cancels the deal? Like what, what do they do that you don't like? Um, They're just unable to get the funding they need or change of circumstances at mm. their end. Oh, I got it. Uh, right. Yeah, the the premise and the concept is still as sound as ever. And the, one of the big strengths that you touched on in the introduction is that Lone Wolf um, – is is unique and it and 's kind of ring fenced as well against um, becoming out of date it 's a fantasy that 's a standalone it it 's never going to go out of date it 's as fresh now as it was thirty years ago when it first appeared so um, that 's very much in its favor um, if i was if I had a say a science fiction series, the reverse would be true. Mm. Science fiction uh, creations tend to date very quickly. Mm-hmm. As technology catches up and then supersedes them, so um, it's got its longevity built into it. Yeah. I'm kind of resigned to the fact that yes, one day it will be made into a film, um, but perhaps I won't be around to see it. Um,
0: so, is there anything outside? Playlist. Is there anything outside of money that stops it from being made into a film? Like, is there like, let's say, someone found backing to it? Is there anything that mm. w- that would make it not a movie from that point?
1: Um, not really, because, uh, I mean, certainly, um, I've got a couple of, uh, scripts that have been, uh, created to, um, get over the fact that the original books are written in second person, where it's happening to you as the reader. So they need, you know, they need strong male and female leads generally in a traditional script. Um, so those hurdles have been overcome, um, and also I've managed to carry over some of the ideas that were created in those scripts, uh, to the app. So the Lone Wolf um, uh, app adventure um, has characters that I were first introduced when I did scripting of uh, Mm. Lone Wolf for the original film offers. Um, One character in particular, uh, Leandra Redalium, a very strong female lead, Um, she features heavily in the uh, computer game app and uh, has become a firm favorite with all the new fans that are coming in discovering Lone wolf for the first time. Mm-hmm. So on a scripting point of view, no, there's no real barrier to it. Um, unlike the luck I've had in the past, I'm not, being, I'm not in the right place at the right time with this yet, mm-hmm. but uh, hopefully that will
0: change. All right, so the mythology. Now let's, let's focus on book one because that introduces a lot of the, myth, of the kind of basic mythology that lets you kind of learn the world. Yeah. um so it takes place in summerland and mm-hmm. it's and there's gaiax you meet a guy named Banadon there's kai monastery kai warriors um there's the dark lords there's the dark lands uh there's the Mag- magicians guild there's held Hel- is that how you say that uh there's
1: the hell Yeah. yeah so
0: tell me about all this stuff
1: Right. Well, you've got it. It's interesting. What, you, what you're putting it together is from Lone Wolf's point of view, from the point of view of a 15 year old. <laughs> exactly. Okay. You're looking very sort of, you know, in your immediate vicinity. And then circling uh, out. It, a, that's great. That's really that's quite heartening. Um, as I mentioned in the longer interview, you know, this is the culmination of seven years' work. So there is a huge backstory to all of the elements that you've described. Um, it takes place on a world called Magnumund. Magnumund is split into two major continents: northern and southern Magnumund. Um, Magnumund is in a galaxy that's very similar to our own, I and mean, there's a practical reason for that. Because if Magnum was not Earth-like, then it wouldn't have Earth-like physical properties. Mm-hmm. So, if you're going to have a sun and a moon and regular day-night cycles, then it needs to mimic what we know is normal. Okay, so there's a particular reason for that. You know why it's in in a similar Earth-like setting. Beyond Magnumon is the uh, universe of Aeon. And Aeon was created by the merging or the sort of alliance between um, one of the two gods of good and the god of evil. So there are, in this universe, there are two gods of good, Kai and Mm Ishir. And they represent, uh, Kai is the god of the sun, and Kai is the god that uh, the Kai lords uh, venerate. Ishir is the Goddess of the moon, and she is the mother figure. Kai is the father figure, and it's a sort of a yin yang relationship Mm. with them. Um, Nar is the king of darkness, and he is radically opposed to the other two, so um, he's uh, he's the baddie, the super baddie. Now, what occurred was that, uh, in a sort of a timeless existence that they uh, existed in, um, they were constantly fighting each other and they decided to put an end to it. A truce was declared and Ishir created this vessel into which Na sort of infused his power. And at that moment, there was the Big Bang. At that moment, a whole world was created. Uh, sorry, a whole universe was created. It's not what they were expecting. Um, and it's set the scene for the existence of Aeon and consequently Magnum set within it. Now, over countless uh, thousands of millenniums battles are waged throughout the universe and we're now in the age of low wolf where it's down to one planet magnum holds the balance between good and evil it's the last planet that hasn't either been claimed by good or evil so it is very much the, the chessboard or the battlefield of the gods so what happens there will affect the balance of the whole universe now this is—I don't impart this to you at all do I? when you're reading book one. <laughs> no, not at all. This is big stuff. I don't remember any of these stakes. That's quite heavy, yeah. quite
0: heavy stuff. Yeah.
1: But yeah, the larger story has been established. I know, you know where you come from and how how you've arrived there. So let's sort of descend onto Magnamund as a planet. Um, over the course of its uh, history, and there, are, its, its history is about fifteen thousand years that I've documented. Um, we are now in the year. Uh, 50-50 in Lone Wolf uh, in the game books and prior to that, about 1500 years prior to that, the um, of which Lone Wolf is one, okay, so Somerland the people of Somerland are the Somerlending, they undertook a great exodus from the other side of the planet where they occupied a series of archipelago islands and they were compelled by Kai to um, enact this great exodus by boat around the other side of the planet to the mainland, as it were, to the northern half of Magnamund, which they did, and they landed on the shores of what was to become Somalind, and they wrested that territory from Dark Lord control. Now, the Dark Lords are kind of, um, they were champions of the evil god, and they were there before the Kai arrived. And really, uh, the god Kai sent the Somlending uh, to deal with them, to deal with this threat of the Dark Lords. Um, and he imbued in them these special skills, these Kai disciplines. But it's kind of an unfinished job. He was in the process of uh, in, in instilling these uh, <clears throat> particular skills into them during the Exodus. But they arrived rather sooner than he expected, and they were uh, incomplete so that set up a very nice situation for me where I could have um, the kai developing. They had to develop themselves. They have innate powers, but uh. they're, not, they're not overt powers. So it involves them in study and meditation and training in order to release their true value, which brings us back right to the start of the previous interview when we were discussing, you know, Lone Wolf as a character, mm-hmm. how he is the sort of the lowest rung on the totem. He has all of these super skills uh, innate within him, but they've not, they're unreleased, they're undeveloped, they're immature. And it's through um, through his personal development through the books so he releases them and, and masters them and brings them to their full potential. And um, that's kind of how the Kai Lords work. And that gives the rationale for why you as the last remaining kylord can progress even though there are none of your kind left uh,
0: that answers through... a big question that i've always had that makes <coughs> so much more mm. sense that's great because it's all innate inside of them
1: yes indeed undeveloped mm-hmm. unrefined okay they they're they've been they came off the production line a little bit too early <laughs> though I <kind> of... <laughs> right were incomplete, but Kai was under a lot of pressure. The Dark Lords were taking over most of the planet and looked like it was going to swing the balance. And so he had to come up with something. He came up with the Kai. And they proved to be pretty effective. But uh, at the stage where they're massacred, obviously that's a huge setback. And then the story that unfolds in the saga through the game books is the resurgence of the Kai through this one character, you basically, how you save the day, how you change the situation and restore the balance. Um, so that's the overview of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then within that, there are a million shades of grey going on with a lot of other protagonists with different alliances and different agendas. Mm-hmm. Um, the history has, is very thorough and detailed, and there are remnants of the past that carry over into the modern age. Um, so there's a lot of <clears throat> relics to be discovered, ruins to be explored. Uh, secrets to be discovered as well, uh, and that all adds to the growing mythos of the of the world.
0: And all the books kind of center around those different things. You know, like Book Four centers around this big chasm that's opened up that um, mm. that you ha- you know that with some ma- dark ritual happened you know years before and is going to happen again, and you have to stop it. You know, like these yeah, of things.
1: that that touches on one of the legends of uh, Somberland. Mm. Um, Okay, so as I established, in the game books, it starts in the year 5050. Um, book four is about 5057, I think. It's about three or four years after the massacre. Um, back in the year 3799, there was a major battle fought on the edge of that chasm you described, which is called the Marken Gorge. And the greatest of all the Dark Lords, Archlord, Zaga- uh, yeah, Arch-Lord Vashna, was defeated by um, a Somnending king, King the I on the very brink of the chasm of doom um, and sent into and banished as it were pushed into that chasm Uh, sadly ulna was snagged by his claw as he fell and dragged into the to his doom as well and the sword that he that he had the Somersweat, the legendary sword of the sun was teetering on the brink until you know it was recovered now the legacy of vashner is that he's not dead he's in sort of a limbo state, and he exists in the depths of the Markham Gorge. And through a series of rituals, he can be restored. The huge threat he poses is that he will come back as an undead, and he will come back with a legion of undead. Mm. All of the troops that were thrown, their bodies thrown into the gorge after him. So you know, no living army can stand against an army of the undead. So it's a, it's a massive threat if that comes to pass. So... Early on in the series, in book four, that is, that is what you have to face. You have to prevent that uh, ritual taking place to prevent the rise of Vashna. And then again, it's revisited again in book 16,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where the circumstances are very similar for his rise at that point.
0: Yeah. And what's kind, so. of, what's kind of fun about that is, you know, when hopefully you stop this ritual from happening, but you get the dagger of Vashna and then mm. you keep it because you write it down on your action chart and you have it as your character. For the rest of the series and it comes up again and again
1: yeah indeed uh and that's i like the irony of turning you know dark horse super weapon on it on on its uh, allies Mm -hmm. uh there's also some practical uses it's put to when you're you're facing certain enemies right and there's some practical disadvantages as well because it can act as a beacon Mm. Uh, to certain creatures who will then track you down far more easily <laughs> if you're carrying it. Right. So it's swings and roundabouts. Um, the same is true of the Somerswear.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, the Sword is a very powerful weapon. Uh, it can harness the power of the sun. That you get in Book 2, had, by the way. Which you get in Book 2 okay. and use very effectively in Book 2 to destroy Zagana, the Archlord, who is attacking the capital of Solomon. Um And you raise the siege and save your country that way. Um, it's curious to introduce such a super weapon early on in the series. Um, but yet again, it's a super weapon that has limitations. It needs the light of the sun to fully operate. Mm-hmm. If, if anybody but a Kai Lord uses it, then it will lose its powers. So there are some heavy caveats attached to it. Um, and you have to manage its use carefully as the series progresses. There are some cases where it's best not to take it with you. Mm. Uh, and there are. Some useful things you can discover along the way. A colinium scabbard, for instance, will keep its powers hidden. So uh, that's worth looking out for. Um, But ultimately, you have an advantage if you have that weapon rather than not having it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It posed a problem that, well, not so much a problem, more of a challenge, really. Um, You touched on how do I um, playtest the game books when I'm writing them. I did and typically i have uh three um profiles that i use sort of a low profile with low scores a, me- a median profile mm. and then sort of a maximum profile and then i will play back through the sections using those profiles to see what the results are like and modify them accordingly to get the you know the optimum result um, and then i have to bear in into mind everything that you could possibly have carried over and how that could be used um so yeah, there's a lot to consider. There's a lot that goes into the planning. Hence, the planning takes you know, majority of the time mm-hmm.
0: um, in writing the book. Now, how did you come up with Vonator? He's like my—is that am I saying that correctly? I don't. Yeah, I Vonator. Vonator. Yeah. He is probably my favorite villain in the entire series, and he keeps popping up, which is what I love. But yes. he's like – I don't know why. I don't know why I, I'm attracted to him as a bad guy. Maybe because his picture on the American version of the cover of the third book is so yeah. great. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. I was really lucky with the American editions because um,
1: sure Pace was so impressed with the manuscripts that they put a bit of money into it, wisely so. And they <laughs> hired uh, uh, Richard Corbin. As the artist. Oh, well, yeah, we're talking world-class artists. Yeah. And he was at his prime in the 80s. Sure, yeah. And, you know, I was a huge fan. I was so um, humbled by the fact that he had agreed to the commission. Um, so I put it down to his work. And the work he did on those initial covers were beautiful, absolutely beautiful. So uh, book two especially. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that helped elevate the character. Mm-hmm. But the, the character is a very interesting character anyway because he's, he is the ultimate traitor. Mm-hmm. It's, for, it's, it's because of his treachery that the Kai get massacred. Mm-hmm. It was a sort of an open secret that they meet once a year uh, on the first day of the spring, Feyman, and mm-hmm. um, But they'd always had protections in place to prevent um, an ambush or an invasion taking place. But Von magic negated those protections, and so they were unaware of the build-up of the Dark Lord armies um, until it was too late. So with his assistance, his vital assistance, it enabled the massacre of the Kai to take place. So it really was an ultimate betrayal of his country. Mm -hmm. Um, What he has successfully done is to marry the strengths of the, say, goodly magic with those of the dark arts. Uh, which are called the right and left-hand paths of magic. Mm-hmm. And he's brought the two together. He, he's the only one who's successfully uh, mastered both sides of the coin, as it were, um, which has made him incredibly powerful. But he gets his comeuppance in book three. He gets thrown into a, a shadow gate, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a link to the... Um, how best to describe this? This is to an area that sort of buffets the planes of other planes of existence uh, around Aeon yeah. with the material world of Aeon itself. So not only do I, do I have a uh, universe, but I have layers of other universes that surround it. Mm-hmm. It's very and complex. The, it's it's fairly complex. Yeah, there is a map available for those. <laughs> that, you know, could do with some assistance, but um yeah, this. uh It comes in two names. It's the Dazian plain is the area Mm, that mm. is recognised. But it's also called the Neverness. And he's kind of thrown into that because anybody who's been thrown into this gate never returns. So some only believe it is um, instant, you know, vaporisation. It's like instant death. You get thrown in there. Mm -hmm. But that's not the case, as you you discover mm. uh, later in the series towards, I mean, certainly in Book 20, you discover it, of where he's been and what's really happened. Uh, oh, yeah. I think nineteen. He makes an appearance. He shows, well. up, he
0: shows up. in book eleven, and also yes, Prisons of Time, yeah. and and also the um, the. There's like a supplemental series called for Graystar was another character. The world of Lone yeah. Wolf and I think yeah. they deal with the Shadow Plane in the third book of that as well.
1: Yeah, it's they going going to, to the Shadow Plane more in more detail there yeah. uh, Greystar was a, a four book sub series, and based on the eponymous character Greystar who's a yeah. young wizard. Um and the interesting thing there is the, the co-author on that, Ian Page, uh, used to play in my D and D campaign and Greystar was his character. <laughs> uh, yeah. Great and Ian's pretty Yeah, Ian's a pretty good writer as well. So it was a sort of natural um uh, thing to happen. Uh evolution. And so uh together we wrote four books. Um Grey Star series. And they did very well. They were very well received. And he's got a slightly different star to, to mine, which is um, very com- compatible. It works very well. Um, so, they, yeah, very well received. And in fact, they're coming out again. Um, Grey Star's series is being republished next year, probably spring of next year.
0: I remember that series being very difficult to get through. As a, yeah. I remember just being, a, it was a, like a notch above like, what the Lone Wolf books were. Uh, but what's great about mm. it is it has – what's kind of cool, and I want to talk about the Magician's Guild before I said this, but what's fun is with the special like abilities that everyone gets, they're all mm. very unique because you know, as you go yeah. in books 13 through 20, you start to – because of your time with Benadon, you, be you start to learn the path of the left hand and you start learning That's magic true. and lightning bolts, the stuff that he was doing in book one and two. You're now learning how to do in book 13 and 14.
1: That's correct, yeah. You're getting, um, you're getting
0: magical skills, and not just from Banadon, but also
1: from the, um, the Elder Magi, which are the oldest mm. form magic users on the planet, and, and pretty much your mentors and spiritual guides throughout the series. They're in demise. They're actually you know, on their way out. And they're, they're, <clears throat> they're passing on their legacy to you, really. Um, so you have two branches of magic. You have uh, Kai alchemy, and you have Magi magic. All right. So you've got two distinct branches of magic to use. But there are probably something like a dozen different branches of magic on the planet Mm. and uh, fully developed and mastered by different races and different areas. So um, a lot of this is coming together and will be revealed in the Lone Wolf Avenger game. The supplements for that game will be very detailed and very thorough and will cover an awful lot of information that's not been um, published before. Okay. So, um, yeah, the first one out is called realm of Somerland. And as it indicates, it's all about, uh, Lone Wolf's homeland. The big different, the big thing to bear in mind with the adventure game is that it's set 50 years before game book one. Okay. Now there's a very good reason for this because if it was set at the time where the are massacred, then who would you play? Right. There wouldn't be anybody left to play, <laughs> Right, <laughs> could not play a Kaya Lord as they, you know, no longer exist. Um, so I thought, yeah, we want a best best solution here is to set it fifty years before the massacre, when they're really at their height, when the Kai are at the you know peak of their game, and this opens a lot of opportunities for the players, and it has a, is a nice sort of uh, timeline awaiting the narrator as well. you know, looking fifty years ahead in your campaign, you know that massacre will take place, so you can in the long game either oh, kind of steer your players towards preventing that or. Let it run its course
0: oh, that's really so, interesting
1: it's quite an interesting you know thing to bear in mind, yeah, that's really fun, and fifty years of play is, is a lot of play It right? <laughs> sure is it is you know that's a good five to ten years of real play, even so. even the most dedicated of players yeah I, that's yeah exactly
0: now let 's talk about some of the bad guys, for example, because one of the things that I, I wanted to kind of wrap my head around is the dark Lords, so the way yeah. it works they're on. They're on the west side of Summerland.
1: Yeah, they're on the west side of the northern continent.
0: Yes, um, you know, okay. separated by a large mountain range. Yeah, the Derncrag Mountains. And so they, um, so when one is defeated, another one takes their place. Is there a limited number of Dark Lords because they seem to have kind of like almost a direct connection to Nar, who's you know the, the god of evil, uh, the Dark yeah. Lord? How, how does how do they work? Is it like Lord of the Flies? Yeah, well, the, the
1: Dark Lords were champions of evil. There were twenty of them originally. Uh, and they were gated into northern Magnament about um, 1,500 years before the Somme arrived. And they've transformed an awful lot of the northern um, continent into a wasteland. Um, they are very powerful creatures individually, um, but they, are, they don't cooperate um, very well. Okay? They're hugely ambitious and have all the traits of evil that run against them. You know, they certainly they don't trust each other and they're constantly uh, in political battles. And so they're vying for the arch lordship, which is the highest uh, position. Uh, by becoming an arch lord, you control the others by default. You become the leader of the rest. <clears throat> now, the dark lords um, can only exist in certain uh, physical situations. The air they breathe is poisonous to everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so they have to create an environment that, they can exist in, and by doing so, they turn everything to desolation around them. So, the dark lands have been expanding, and as they expand, they um, taint and destroy and poison everything uh, in its wake. So, um, when you see the dark lands depicted on the maps, it is a vast wasteland, volcanic activity, and this is Mordor, but, uh, but to a factor of a hundred. Mm. Yeah, and they're. Central power base is Helgadad, and Helgadad is on a peak of granite in the middle of a fiery chasm linked by a bridge. Um, Helgadad and a lot of the other names um, come from the Giyak language. I developed a language specifically for the baddies. Uh, the Giyaks are the low foot troops of the Dark Lords, um, but they have a, a sort of very guttural, very military based language. Um, which has enabled me to, to generate place names within the Darklands mm. fairly easily and also to generate uh, more puzzles and clues and other niceties within the books themselves. There's, um, there's an instance in book one where you find a GIAC message and it's written in GIAC. And then a couple of years later, out came The Magnum and Companion, which was sort of a, a mini encyclopedia of the world in which I sort of outlined how to speak GIAC and put in the basic vocabulary uh, and at that point, a lot of readers were able to decipher the message that they found in book one. Uh, oh, that's figure out really it, cool. It, it's really cool, isn't it? Yeah, I'm actually <laughs> looking at my
0: copy of the Magnum and Companion right now. Okay,
1: about two-thirds of the way through, I think you'll find uh, How to Speak Gear. Are you still fluent? Uh, no. no, and it's very embarrassing when I get is, fan mail written entirely in gear.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you really? That's awesome.
1: I do, yeah. And then I think, oh, my God, this is another two hours of my life. I'm going to have to spend it. Because it's not just, uh, you know, it's not word substitution. It's a proper grammar. Right,
0: yeah, yeah. No, yeah you so. did a great job with it. It's similar to Klingon, except I think you came out before the Klingon Dictionary came out.
1: Yeah, by about 15 years, I think. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, completely different. Um, but GIAC I developed probably around uh, 1980. Yeah. that's when it started to appear in my campaigns. That's great, and built on it. There's a funny, a funny story uh, backing that because I had to determine what uh, what sounds a GIAC could make um, realistically, and that would limit the vocabulary, well, li- limit the vowels and the sounds that would make up the words that they would use in their vocabulary. Uh, and what I, one night I sat there with a mouthful of toothpicks and <laughs> tried to, I recorded every sound I could make with these toothpicks in my mouth. I came up with a, came up with a you know a fanged version. <laughs> so, but the consequence of it is that the the language when it's spoken kind of sounds right.
0: Yeah, man, you are dedicated. Yeah. Well, yeah, thorough. I think thorough, thorough. yeah, and, committed. You're really committed to the language, definitely. Um, but I didn't stop there. I
1: developed Old Somlending as well, which is based on Old Norse. So the, the runes that are used by the Somlending and some of their old language that seeps into their um, certainly into their uh, place names and, and things like that. That's all based on a, a standalone language as well. Oh, I didn't know. where can you learn that? Um well I've been a big fan of sort of Norse mythology since I've been about twelve. It was one of the influential uh, aspects of Lomorph. Um so uh I've got a good ear for Norwegian and um a good working knowledge of old Norse um language. So I kind of put that to better use and created my own um language based on that. Um now if I wanted to learn m-
0: Summerlin, where'd I learn that Summerleading?
1: Well you're gonna you have to wait until Realm of Summerland is released because that's what? the first time it's <laughs> revealed. Yeah. Well that's not such a long way. November is the publication date. Okay. So you could be you could okay. be fluent
0: in two languages in Magnumund. Yes.
1: Yeah. Cool. Although old Summerlanding is not in current usage at the time of no, it's the It's a dead
0: language, of course, but
1: Sort of, yeah, sort of. Um, it's like our old English is, you know, parts of it are still used, but right. Nobody, you know, walks around talking like Shakespeare.
0: (laughs) You hope. Well, (laughs) (laughs) not in the streets, hopefully.
1: Apart from our actors, they they continually do that.
0: That's that's, very true.
1: That's a kind of a parallel. That's the sort of parallel. But by developing the language and doing it well and spending time on it, it opens up so many other doors for. Like I say creating place names is great. Creating history of local areas. Yeah,
0: well, even uh, the hell nest, who we talked about earlier, uh, that comes from Gaelic as well, right? Because hell means dark, and it's like, that's right. H- hell means black. Black, I'm sorry. Yeah,
1: and ghast is ghost. I think so. black ghost. Yeah, my my yeah, a little trend. rusty.
0: Yeah, that's okay. Thank you. Um, and those guys are pretty tough because you can't kill them by normal means and they pose a big no. problem in the books because you basically have to run away from them until you have a magical weapon, which is – it creates a lot of tension.
1: Yeah, but their real strength is the fact they can shape change. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. This this elevates them to like really dangerous. Yeah. Uh, and in mm-hmm. fact, when you read A Realm of Somin and you look at the history of uh, Summoner itself, uh, it details the Hellgast Wars in the late uh, 3900s. Um, yeah, around that period, and um, a thirty-year campaign waged by uh, the Helgast against the Somlending, how they infiltrated even the royal family as well as all of the, the army and the devastation they wrought as a consequence of it. So um, the limitation the Hellgast have is that there is only a finite number of them, and they're dwindling fast. Mm. So um, there's not an awful lot of them left. By um, well, there's still quite a few of them left at the time of the uh, adventure game.
0: Yeah, in the year 5000. Yeah, they're loaded. Uh, I mean, I run into them a lot.
1: Yeah, well, you run into most of them,
0: mm. uh,
1: although you weren't quite aware of it. Um, they, they really, you know, pulled out all the stops to prevent you from reaching the sword. Yes. Um, and six hellgasts were sent against you, mm-hmm. and you encounter them on that, you know, that famous voyage from Holmgard to Duranor. Yes and on to Hamadal to finally pick up the sword.
0: Yeah,
1: And the Realm of Summoning goes into great detail as to how all of that came about. Um, why is the sword in, in uh, Hamadal? Um, it goes into the rationale for it, how, why the transfer took place. Um, so a lot of questions that have been asked over the years are fully
0: answered in that volume. Uh, and it's a pleasure to actually be able to release all that information now. Well it you know, it lends credence to the fact that you really thought this entire thing out. I mean, this is a real living, breathing world that all mm. you know, all the pieces are there. Like there's a reason why everything happened. Now anyway, yeah. maybe when you did it originally there wasn't and you kind of backed into the to the reason, but uh not very much of that. I usually had I had a,
1: I had a clear outline of, you know, the reasons why, but then I kind of developed that as as I needed to. Yeah. Uh so I had the rationale for the six Helgas that was sent against you. Um but I hadn't fully developed what happened to them, sort of every hour of every day on that voyage. And, <laughs> right. You know, but I have now, and oh, that's really? led to an awful lot. Of- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, you may have come across on um, there's a situation where you come across a guy with the spear in his chest.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And-, and you have to yeah, yeah? If you pull it out. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and he's a Hellguard. Right. Okay. Well, the full story behind that is revealed. There's quite a big story behind that. How it ca- how that came about. Uh, I won't tell you all of that, about it because it's quite a spoiler, but it's not, it was not done for effect. It was the culmination of a sub-quest a sub, um, that led to that encounter. Where can I read that? So, I remember that. I know exactly uh,
0: what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, you can read it on my Facebook. I think if you – not, I'm not sure if, it's, if you have the ability to search on Facebook for certain things, but I know it's certainly on there uh, because that question came up and I answered it in detail um and that's one of the huge advantages i have with facebook i can answer these questions directly yeah. so there's an awful lot of um, detailed information that's you know put out that way um if you i think i answered it probably around february or march of this year so if you scroll down to that month and have a have a look through you'll find it
0: well i am it's a, it's a good story
1: it's, a, it's an interesting story of what leads to it as well so if you're particularly intrigued that's
0: the way to go I am particularly intrigued. <laughs> I am very intrigued.
1: Everybody has their, you know, their own question they'd love to ask. Uh, I'm pretty confident I can answer them. So uh, it's just time, you know, hours in the day. Yeah, I pretty much work. You know, I'm am working all the time on this, seven days a week, and uh, always you know, contributing a little bit to it. And I get help these days as well. There are fans that, uh, well, it's scriptarium in, in particular, which is a group of French academics that um, have devoted fans of my work. And they're all sort of master's level degree-holding academics. Uh, One in particular, Vincent Lazari, is a professor of paleontology at Poitiers University. This guy is, you know, a very intelligent guy. Um, And I I fondly describe him as the uh, French equivalent of Indiana Jones because (laughs) they pay him to go to the far... Go to the back of Beyond and dig up relics and bring them back to the university. So if that's not if that's not India, I don't know what is. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's his job. So yeah, I get these fantastic sort of reports. But when he can get back to an airport and get you know get back on the internet, because when you're in the middle of the desert in Chad, there's nothing but scorpions out there. Really, <laughs> certainly, there's no, no satellite connection. Uh, but he will he will spend his downtime um, writing up theses and, and checking my material and you know archiving and cataloguing it all and he's a fantastic resource to draw on so uh, I always go to Vincent for checking stuff um, because certainly after 30-35 years of producing stuff non-stop um, I'm bound to forget something along the way. Yeah. This guy is just superhuman when it comes to that he knows, you know, he's got it all down uh, in these archives and he can check immediately That's incredible. And I get a, I get a thorough sort of uh, response from him saying no. "But but you know Gamebook aids at this position in this place at this time, you described it like this, and there was a road going over that hill there, so you need to change this description to match that one, so it's vital <laughs> vital
0: so <laughs> useful. everyone needs that um, well, Mr. Deaver, this is a perfect little subset here with the mythology. Uh, you answered a lot of my questions wonderful so this is this is a great little subset, so if you 're interested and you like hearing this mythology, there are going to be 32 books re-released there's an rpg you can get into this world it's out there it's incredible um so thanks for taking this extra couple minutes to explain it for us that's been my pleasure all right thank you fantastic
1: opportunity thanks
0: thank Um, you and thanks to everyone for listening have a good night